Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The HHW LOD Podcast Network proudly presents Real Heroes, the podcast that takes a critical look at comic book movies. The good. I am Iron Man. The bad. I punish the guilty. And the worthless. I am the law. So what a half-hour waste did Frank A. Rincon and Dr. Eric Selvig have in common? Pants optional? They've both been banned from Stonehenge for running around in flagrante. <laughs> Almost half right. Close. Very close. I knew it had to be pants related. Yes, or lack thereof. Right. Or they were the people you want to see if you need prescription drugs really quickly. <laughs> so this is Real Heroes, our episode on Thor the Dark World, and your hosts for this evening are Russ... Dr. Esquire, Mr. Jordan from Jersey, Yoda Jones himself, Jim Dietz, and once again, the making like the hat trick now, Ken Morgan. Hey, good evening. So we're here tonight. Yeah, that's right. Not only Thor has a surprise cameo, we do as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think, I think I'm past cameo status now. Right? <laughs> You're a recurring player. <laughs> um, so tonight we're gathered to talk about Thor The Dark World, the recently released next movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we'll just we'll just get started. So we'll we'll do what we always do. We'll talk a little numbers, uh, talk cast and crew, and then we'll just uh, get into talking about the movie itself. So, uh, so again, the movie was released on November eighth of twenty thirteen, and a- as we record this in on the uni- in the United in the United States, true, it was in in out in UK and maybe elsewhere about a week or so previous, I think. Yes, you are correct. That's a very important distinction for our non-American listeners. But surprisingly, it opened. I think. Um, well, I say surprisingly, the the estimates for the opening weekend were a little all varied a little bit. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday night, the 10th, so numbers at this point aren't final, but they're pretty solid. Box Office Mojo does a, usually does a pretty good job on the estimates, uh, and we're sitting right now at $86.1 million opening weekend, which I think is pretty strong. It's definitely uh, quite a bit stronger than the first Thor movie, and I think no surprise anywhere, nowhere near Avengers or, or Iron Man 3 numbers. I don't think they expected him to make that, uh, that amount of money either, especially releasing this time of year and, you know, not being the only Marvel movie this year, all that stuff. So, um, I, I, 86.1, that's pretty respectable though, considering it's, you know, not a, uh, um, you know, big holiday like July 4th or, or, or what have you. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty respectable. And the ratings are kind of all over the board though. I mean, Metacritic has it at, at 44, but the ratings on IMDb from users have it at 7.7. So. It's kind of, I mean, I know it's just out and everything, but that seems pretty, uh, like a pretty wide uh, difference. Russ, I don't expect you to have this, but I'm curious how this is looking for first weekend compared to Iron Man 3. It's, it's about uh, half. Uh, Iron Man 3 opened up, I think it was a $175 million opening weekend. 
and it went on to, to take in almost one, what I think 1.1 billion worldwide. So, wow. Um, the 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 good thing about this is the foreign box office has been very very strong. I know opening weekend in foreign markets it was over a hundred million total, and and right now the foreign gross again this is as of November 10th is up to 240.9 million. So. Right now, it's sitting at right about the, oh wow yeah wow. right about so there you go three hundred and fifty million uh, on a hundred and seventy five million dollar budget. So right now, it's it's you know I think they always say you know it has to make double what the budget is. Um, I imagine the marketing campaign behind that probably bumps it up quite a bit more. But this thing is definitely on track to I would say easily five hundred million worldwide. And the budget for Thor, the first Thor movie, was one hundred and fifty million. So they they amped up the budget a little bit. And they're definitely seeing huge returns on on the box office. So so far so good. I, this is this is good. I think this is a little scary for Disney in that if this movie opened up to very lukewarm box office, like thirty, thirty five, or even forty million, I think uh, what this would tell Disney is if we don't have Robert Downey Jr. in a Marvel movie, it doesn't it you know it just doesn't sell at the box office. And so for for this to be as strong as it is, I think Hemsworth's. Uh, cachet in Hollywood is at the box office is definitely on the on the up uh, outside of the Avengers even I, I think he's just becoming more of a known quantity um, I think he's he's I think it's suffice to say he's probably a little popular with the ladies and not even to mention Tom Hiddleston oh yeah 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 something that also tells us too by by bringing those kind of numbers is that the the bubble hasn't burst yet we haven't hit saturation point for the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, that's something I'm, I'm worried about uh, going forward, you know, with all the movies and the television properties and what have you, that we're going to get to a point where it's just going to be too much and people aren't going to care. But obviously, there's still an audience for these movies in a big way. So that's good. You know, not to go on, not to go on too much on a tangent, but uh, I think the recent news, and I don't know how much we're going to talk about this later on uh, with the Marvel Netflix deal, is a good move to kind of help with that because yes, it gives us more Marvel, but I don't think any of those characters, except for maybe Daredevil, could carry the success of a of a theatrical release. But doing them as a as a TV series and doing it on Netflix is a great way to to expand that with into a different area, but not um, oversaturate like you're talking about. So so they might have ways to to come around that. Yeah, Netflix is an interesting proposition because they don't really care about. Viewer, and you know, we talked a little bit about this on Shield uh, last week, but they don't really care too much about numbers. Like they're not into viewers in the demo and total viewership and when they're watching and all that kind of stuff. Netflix just cares: is this enough to keep people subscribing and to get more people to subscribe? So it's it's right. it's a bit of a different dynamic when you when you go that route, and it takes a lot of pressure off the studio and uh, and, and well, may, I guess mainly the studio because they just kind of get their cash up front. And then get their property out there. Well, plus, I mean, I, like I said, I don't want to go too much on a tangent here because I've, I've already talked about this on the podcast too. But the, the, I think it's a, it's a lot better move for them to put it on Netflix than on you know like the Disney uh, ABC network because those characters are going to lend themselves more to a mature audience mm-hmm. uh, type label than they would to a you know family friendly thing that would have to be on ABC. Yeah, so, no question sure, about that. Sure. So Jim kind of talked a little bit about the Metacritic scores um, and the IMDb score. I, I was looking at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and it, it's I've been tracking this uh, since the foreign release of the movie, and it started pretty high. It started right around 80%, and it's slowly been kind of dwindling down to 66% positive, which I'm a little surprised at um, because uh, it's gotten a lot of positive word of mouth. I mean, a lot of the folks that I've talked to, I think, I think 
as you listen to this podcast, you'll you'll hear us uh, talk about it in a very positive light. So that just seemed a little low to me. Um, but the audience rating was 86% positive. So I think this is kind of normal of what we see with the movies that we've talked about, especially on Real Heroes, where in most cases, the critical score seems to be a bit lower than the audience score in general. Well, for what, for what it's worth on my Facebook feed, it said I, since I was talking about Thor, I just got a link to uh, MTV India, which said uh, Thor's looking fatigued and so were we, and basically saying they didn't like it. And all the comments then went on from people who were saying, oh, and you reviewed some Bollywood movie so high. Yeah, like you really know what you're talking about. So who knows what that really means? Didn't go over well in India, but I guess. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the number side of things. So getting into the cast and crew, uh, this one was directed by Alan Taylor, not by Kenneth Branagh. Alan Taylor's credits go back to, I think, most famous recently for directing six episodes of Game of Thrones, as well as several episodes of Mad Men, The Sopranos, mostly TV stuff. TV uh, stuff has been, and mostly cable television stuff, is kind of his forte. Uh, but I thought he did a pretty good job of this. I I liked his his overall vision and take on on Thor The Dark World. I, I think Kenneth Branagh is an excellent actor, excellent director, but I think maybe some of the cr- criticisms of the first Thor movie were it was a little, Asgard was a little sanitary, everything was a little maybe too pretty. Uh, and one of the things we saw with Alan Taylor's interpretation in Thor The Dark World is we got to see things outside of, of Asgard or around Asgard, I think, and, and it wasn't quite this... A uh, pretty shiny place that that uh, we're kind of maybe led to believe in the Brana version. Yeah, it was more of a of a of a medieval feel city village, whatever you want to say. I mean, we had snow, we had a tavern, we had you know the the con- not the common folk, but we had the, the 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 people who lived in Asgard. We saw we saw a bit of life, not just the throne room and and its immediate surroundings in the castle. We definitely got more of the taste of what it is to live and be in Asgard, at least to a degree. And, and oddly, for a guy like Taylor, who's known more for, like like you already said, Russ, recently for Game of Thrones, I felt like this one had a much more sci-fi feel than uh, the first Thor did. And I mean that in a good way. I think they blended the, the fantasy elements and the science fiction elements very well. But I was just surprised at that, uh, surprised at that how, uh, you know, it, it felt kind of like, in many ways, Star Wars starring Thor, which I thought was awesome. Star Thor. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't, say, they didn't <laughs> say the phrase... Um, science is magic, but you definitely got that feel. I felt that the technology of the Asgardians, for the most part, it felt more like technology, especially the, the weapons. Um, yeah. Not so much the swords that were glowing and, and sparking, and that was like a lightning effect, but like the guns and the ships. But I that did love medical... that their spaceships were Viking boats. Yes. That was yes. awesome. That was cool. That was a great touch. Well, that was the, also uh... kind of illustrated in that one scene where they were scanning Natalie Portman. And she said, you know, is that a quantum wave generator? Yep. And she goes, no, it's part of the life tree or something. And she goes, right. Does yeah, it manipulate molecules and you know, soul forge? Does it do this? That's a quantum wave generator. Yeah. But that was the one that was most, yes, it was technology, but that most felt like it could have been something magical to the untrained eye. I mean, granted, she's, she was someone trained. So they did a great job of, of affecting that one. Um, and even the city shield that that if they didn't show us the the the, the engine the driver the whatever that generated the shield that could have easily have been like a magic thing but I I, I honestly I can tell you I got a I got a flash flashback out of that thing when they with the with the lightning shield at the end of Flash Flash Gordon rather oh yeah yeah I definitely got a vibe out of that when I was watching that and I bet you Jabba's pissed because they stole a whole boatload of his little skiffs from uh from Return <laughs> of the Jedi <laughs> yep. 
but that was pretty cool. But all where I was going with that was uh, the science of science is magic. It went a little too far on the science side than the magic side, but it still worked overall. Although, I mean, compared to the Dark Elves, the Dark Elves felt much more sci-fi and Asgard felt much yeah. more fantasy, um, which was a little strange when you had the two clashing. Um, and, and I was actually talking with uh, the people I went to see the movie with, and the one guy thought it was interesting that in 5,000 years, Asgard's technology has not advanced much at all. Now, granted, they're gods, they're complacent both in you know the way they, they, they treat everything, not just technology. So for me, it fit, but it, it was interesting that not a whole lot has changed since the last uh, multiversal or uh, dimensional convergence or whatever it was called. You know, that's an interesting point, and, and I think it actually you can play that out by something uh, Loki said, you know, give or take 5,000 5, years. I mean, really, just, just two generations have gone by in Asgardian terms. Right. You know, how much, how much in our technology in our life, well, I guess in two generations, let's say we went from, you know, World War II to iPad, more or less. So uh, I guess yeah. a lot can happen in two generations in our terms. But, but that's, by and large, cars still work the same way as they did two generations ago. So if you look at it in that point of view, it's just been two generations in Asgardian terms, so not a lot would have changed. Maybe. And they don't seem to exactly have a lot of scientists sitting around. They're much more warrior-based. Yeah. I will say, though, how I, I really love the art direction. I know we're kind of going on a tangent here, but uh, I really love the art direction of Asgard and the way it looked. It was very true to, like, the Kirby, uh, kind of like like you said, um, can the uh, the magical slash techno look of the Kirby Asgard back in the day? So mm-hmm. I really appreciated that. I remember that was something you you pointed out when we got that first uh, fly through shot of Asgard in the first Thor movie. It was really very reminiscent of Kirby then, and I was curious to see what you kind of take was if they you know went away from that as we got more of that. But the the, the technology again was very Kirby ish. Yeah, how about the world tree? That was a great shot with that. I'm oh not yeah, sure if I that? did actually catch that. That was cool seeing that in there. It was when they were um, going into uh, basically when when Odin was going to give the big ex- exposition scene on what the bad guy was looking for. You know, when you discover the ether in in Jane Foster, so it was Thor, Jane Foster, and and Odin, and um, we had this great you know, like you know. Uh, oh, okay, I, I recognized it as a tree. I don't know that tree. I realized it was Idrisil. Yeah, there yeah. was there was actually you can see representations of the nine realms in, oh, very in, cool. interspersed among the branch among the branches. On the writing side, uh, this one, like we've seen with some of these movies lately, there's there's a lot of hands in the you know a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, and um, primary writers were um, we got Chris Yost, who uh, if anybody's listening listened to LOD anytime recently. Uh, uh, I love uh, Kyle and Yost are kind of a writing pair on the comic side. Uh, come from more of a TV background than a comic background. Uh, they wrote the New X Men book. They wrote uh, the after New X Men stopped. They wrote X Force for a long time, which was kind of the Wolverine Strike Team. Uh, so both Kyle and Yost Yost served as writer. Kyle uh, served as an executive producer on this one and on the previous Thor. Uh, so he had his hand in in the script. Um, and then we have uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who are pretty much at this point like Disney alums. I mean, they wrote uh, Captain America, the the first Avenger. They both have writing credits on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. They have a lot of writing credits on the Narnia movies, uh, as well as this one. So they're they're kind of like a, a pair, I guess you would say. Um, and then on, on the story, we get Don uh, Payne, who did uh, the first Thor movie. 
and uh, Fantastic Four: The Silver Surfer. So he's got a little bit of uh, you know cred with previous Thor and with uh, the Fantastic Four. So kind of kind of guys that uh, that they brought together that have experience with the superhero genre and with Disney uh, especially. And uh, it it didn't. I I, I mean. It wasn't the tightest, you know, best script, you know, on the face of the planet, but it didn't feel like it was super cobbled together like some of these things can feel when they bring in, you know, multiple Right, and, and you didn't even mention, but we teams. know from Alan Taylor that they even brought in Joss Whedon to come in and juice up the dialogue in a few scenes. So. Yes. Do we know which yes. scenes they yeah, were? Yeah, did script doctor some of this stuff. Because there was a lot of humor in the movie. I don't know that I could pinpoint like, oh, that was definitely a Joss Whedon moment or whatever. I want to say that they said that the scene where Thor first sees Jane again was one of them, but I, I can't remember for sure. Yeah, could see that scene where uh, where you know the cell phone breaks through, you know, she gets the phone call in the uh, the cave that we were talking about before, and uh, you know Thor's like, "Well, who's Richard?" You know that kind of thing. Oh, that's true. That kind of being a Whedon riff, maybe. Yeah, I think he was also uh, Whedon was responsible for the. The shirtless Thor scene, I think that was kind of his deal, that uh, he put that bug in Taylor's ear that he should Which have that, uh, that in the flick. So moving on to the score, uh, Brian, Taylor, uh, Brian Tyler rather did the score. Uh, he's done the score on, on The Expendables, uh, Fast Five. Uh, he's, he's targeted for, to do the score on Fast and Furious 7, uh, as well as did the score on Iron Man 3. So I thought the score was fine. Nothing particularly stuck out as particularly memorable or bad, but it, it served its purpose. Yeah, I mean, for me, pretty much a takeoff of what was done in the first Thor movie. It, it didn't seem like a, a huge departure for, from that. I thought 70s funk was kind of an odd choice. <laughs> but it worked. So now cast and crew, or uh, cast, rather. Uh, I mean, most most of this cast is going to be just kind of recurring, uh, you know, folks from the other movie. Of course, Chris Hensworth as, as Thor. Uh, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster. Tom Hiddleston is Loki, who, again, I think just knocked it out of the park. I mean, that guy, just he just steals every every scene he's in. And I know there's been rumor, uh, maybe not even rumor, but I think there's been, you know, just kind of like internet chatter about people wanting to see him get his own flick. And but he has the potential to do it. And But part of me also wonders if the reason he's able to pull off some of this is because he has other people to work off of. You know, maybe it's like that Hulk effect where Hulk works better with, uh, you know, in a group setting or in a team setting. Right. You know, let somebody else be the straight man. He can definitely clean, take it home. But I, I I don't know if he could carry it, especially since he's, I'm not going to call him necessarily the villain, but he's certainly the antihero. And, and it, 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 would, it would take something special to make it really work. Well, and he's a chaotic character. And as much as I absolutely love chaotic characters, be they, you know, good, evil or neutral, Having that as your main character is very difficult to pull off, um, mm-hmm. even in this kind of heightened universe that we have with the MCU. And, and I agree. He works best when he is used sparing. I don't even want to say sparingly because, I mean, I think every scene in this movie where he was in was better than the scenes where he weren't, where, where he wasn't on screen. Um, but he, he's best when he is the, the icing and not the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. I, I agree. I think he works better as a villain than he would in his own movie. Then the, I guess one of the newcomers in this one is uh, Christopher Eccleston as Malekith, the Dark Elf, uh, and I I think he did a fine job. I th- I think if any character was maybe underdeveloped or 
you know, given that he was the big bad of the movie that maybe got a little short shrifted from the story. I think it was maybe Malachi. Um, you know, a lot of the dialogue was relegated to subtitles, but I, th- I think he did a fine job. I don't know. I like Chris Fleckerson a lot, you know, mostly from Doctor Who and everything, but anyone could have done the same exact job he did in this movie. And that's no fault of his own. It's just he was there's nothing for him to do. He stands around, looks angry and uh, speaks in another language for most of the movie in the few scenes he's even in. He's not in this movie very much at all. Yeah, I I agree. And he looks very much like Hordak from uh, He-Man. (laughs) <laughs> it's the same, same, same kind of design. I mean, the the head, everything. It looks just like him. And if I didn't know it was him, if I didn't know if it was Eccleston, I would have had no idea through the entire movie. Yeah, the voice maybe a little bit, but I think that was just more because I knew it was him as opposed to like if I just heard that voice, I would have been like, "Oh, that's Christopher Eccleston." Well, you 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 definitely heard his voice when his English speaking scenes, but you also could tell it's heavily modified to modified in post to. Uh, impact the, the, the tenor of his voice. It, sure. it had the it. Bane effect where it was mixed higher than everything else because um, they added a lot of, of reverb to the voice. Yeah. So. so then we have Anthony Hopkins and Rene Russo as Odin and Frigga, and I, they definitely, maybe it was me, but it seemed to me they had a much larger, especially Anthony Hopkins, seemed like he had a lot more scenes in this movie than he did in the previous. Well, well Andrew- given that the most of it was, was, was on Asgard. Of course he was going to, but definitely had more of an impact. And I don't know. I, I got to just just let me say my lines and give you my check kind of vibe out of him for most of his performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and he said as much, too. I'd say he was probably in it about as much as the first one. I think Rene Russo had a much bigger role. Yes. And certainly much more memorable. That's, that's what I was going to say. They definitely gave her more to do, and I'm glad, because in the first movie she just kind of stood there and reacted to other things. And in this in this movie, they actually give her some things to do and some good lines, and she's kind of pivotal to the plot at one point. So yeah, I got that to kick a little ass. Yeah. In the first one, they didn't even say her name. Yeah. yeah. She was just kind of there. Oh wow! In really? Fact, yeah, they didn't even say her name, and there was a um, a very good moment actually between her and Loki over Odin when he was in the Odin sleep that was cut and was yes. in deleted scenes. I mean, it didn't add much, but at least it was more screen time for her. Right. Uh, this one, yes, much more important to have her on there, including a couple lighthearted moments. I mean, there were some great moments for, for both characters when uh, Jane met them the first time. It's like, oh, you told your dad about me? Yeah. Or like, this is my mother. And she's like, takes her hand back. Oh, uh, yes, ma'am. Hello, ma'am. <laughs> I want to make want to make a good impression in front of mom. And she even gets an action scene. Yeah, so I said oh, she got a great action scene. And you got to remember, she, she would have been like a Sith Probably, maybe oh, yeah. not seen as much action because that was unique to Sif of her day. But definitely, um, not not uh, a normal woman. She was a, a warrior to a degree, and who else would would Odin take as his bride? So, um, no question, she was capable, and they definitely demonstrated that. Yeah, uh, Jamie Alexander as Sif. We got Zachary Levi this time as Fandral. Uh, Ray Stevenson as Volstag. And Tadanabu Asano as Hogan the Missing, as I as I called him in, in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And was that a new actor for that role, or was he just have a very different look? He just had a beard. Okay, is that what it was? Because obviously uh, Levi was a different actor, and, and I clearly recognized that, but the other guy wasn't entirely sure. I was actually questioning, like, did they change him? Because I didn't really pay much mind to the to the Warriors three in the first one, and they had about as much impact this time as they did last time. Not to say it wasn't significant. I, I was probably more disappointed that they didn't add Valder this time around uh, than than keeping those three. But hey, whatever it works. 
I wanted to see more of them. I thought the stuff with them worked great, like yeah. the opening battle, uh, where, yes. you know, where Thor ends up scoring against the, the stone giant, um, when, when they help him break out of Asgard. Um, I thought that when they used them, they used them really well, and I thought they were really, you know, well, I mean, they were great. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see more of them. I could watch probably a... They say they were used exactly the same way as they were in the first one. They were done in a battle scene at the beginning. Um, they were seen at, at a, a midpoint scene. In this case, it was uh, the celebration rather than, uh, uh, you know, commissaring after uh, Thor uh, went, was banished. Uh, and then finally, they were seen breaking Odin's ru- uh, word or, you know, breaking Odin's uh, command to go save Thor. So they were used exactly the same way. Although I gotta say, I, I loved that third appearance of them much better in this one, where oh, yeah. all of a sudden it's a heist movie, which I was not expecting, yeah. but yeah. I loved. Yeah. It was yeah. used very well. Yep. And of course we get Idris Elba returning as Heimdall, and I like that we got a little bit more character with Heimdall. We got yeah, a little more he had, personal. He had more to do. Yeah. He had a lot more to do this yeah. time. He had more face time and more face, considering they gave him a much smaller helmet this time around. Yeah, and he took... And he got to take it off. Take it off, and yeah. And he gets to take down a spaceship on his own. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, We get a very uh different take on Dr. Selvig by Stellan Skarsgård this time, who, I guess, again, we're kind of getting the uh, effects of the Avengers that, you know, based on Loki's possession and uh, you know the 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 blowback from from the um, you know the the portal device and everything else that Doctor Selvig just isn't the same as he was pre Thor. Right. Pre well, he has that line where he says, "I had a god in my head. I don't recommend it." You know, something along <laughs> yeah. those lines. And it's like, okay, I think I understand why he's a little you know reluctant to wear pants. They're kind of a little you know, <laughs> little you know touched in the head. I mean, he had he had the god of mischief. And, you know, in his brain, you know, that would, I don't know. I'm wondering if we're going to see any effects like that with Hawkeye. Well, I mean, Selvig was possessed for a lot longer than Clint Barton was. Yeah, that's true. So. Yeah, and Clint Clint had uh, an immediate um, outlet of his anger. I mean, he, he got to, you know, do what a soldier does and, and, and get it out there. Uh, Selvig, he just had to kind of wallow in, what, oh, my dear God, what did I do? And it, 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 it drove him a little bit. And he finally, in this movie, actually, if anything, got his way to direct that that anger and that energy. Um, plus, he believes Loki to be dead now, so that that alone gives some closure to him. Right. And then we get uh, Kat Dennings showing back up as Darcy Lewis. Um, <laughs> who? Do you guys remember that show with the British woman? It was, you are the weakest link. Yeah. Goodbye. Oh, see, I yeah. love her in these movies. See, I really I, do. I find her very, very attractive and very charming, but I just could not stand her in this movie. I just would, was like, ah, let me sit through this comic relief scene to get to something cool. You know, I just, I don't know. It just did not work for me. That was the only thing that really did not click. Yeah, it was definitely the weakest part of the movie. Um, I agree. I think her stuff seemed a little more natural in the first movie, and they seemed a little more forced in this movie. It's almost like, they had well, to... we got to bring her back. We got to use her. Let's figure something out. Yeah. Hey, at least she had the best uh, line of the movie, or one of one of the biggest laughs in my theater, anyway, with her call back to the first movie with meow meow. Yeah, meow that, meow. That, yep that, that that was that was nice. That was funny. <laughs> and a surprise cameo by Chris O'Dowd, which I was not expecting. Uh, an yeah. actor I quite like, and I thought was used pretty well in the one and a half scenes he was in. Well, that's not, that that wasn't the only surprise cameo in the movie. And not the no. only surprise cameo by someone named Chris. No, that's and true. 
and as we, I figured I'll save those. There's there's two more surprise cameos I have, and I figure we'll we'll save those for the for when we get further into the discussion, not to get too too off topic um, on that. But so that's cast, crew, numbers, etc. So I guess uh, now we'll just kind of kind of free form discussion. I mean, one of the things right off the bat with this movie is it opened similarly to the first Thor, where we kind of get a tale of uh, of the past. You know, in the first one, it was. You know, we got the we kind of went to Norway and we kind of got the tale of the frost giants and and how all that went down. This time we get a tale going back five thousand years to the previous convergence where uh, the dark elves were thought to be destroyed, and we get a little cameo there by Bor, who is Odin's father, which I thought was awesome. I didn't yeah. really love his portrayal though. He just seemed like another guy. Yeah, he had the cool helmet. No, he, the he just didn't add down. anything to me. He was definitely younger than. Odin, Odin is now so somewhere between where Thor is now and where Odin is. Like you know, he's he's more mature of the warrior as a, as a ruler as a king. So um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it finally well enough. Didn't you guys get a bit of a um, a, a Lord of the Rings vibe off that opening? A little bit. Evil man using an ultimate yeah. weapon, and then he wouldn't destroy it when he had the chance. Aside from the lasers and spaceships, sure. I, you know, it's kind of funny as as we talk about this. I think there's a lot of similarities between the plot of this and the plot of Man of Steel. Hmm. You know, where we get kind of the you know this this opposing power that was seemingly banished, and you know something gets activated. In this case, Jane activates the ether, and it wakes up these these dark elves. Kind of similar to you know Clark and the spoilers for Man of Steel, but Clark you know activating the ship, which activates wakes up Zod and, you know, they're able to, you know, you know, find where Earth is and they have this, you know, big battle and anyway. It's the same way in the same way that uh, Harry Potter or Aragorn, Aragorn or Aragorn, I forget the name of them, how it was pronounced, uh, are the same as Star Wars. So, yeah. (laughs) Boy finds his destiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And let's not even bring up the last Starfighter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, let's let's. We need to. Is that on the rotation for the Wheel of Destiny? It's no, not because it's not a comic book movie. movie. Or oh, what, what about what about Crawl? I mean, if you want to get down to some old school, I love Crawl. Crawl was the. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he had the glaive. What other weapon do you need? Uh, he has the oh, glaive. Yeah. <laughs> Liam Neeson. It was like eighteen when they made that movie, or something. Yeah. Nah, let me let me reel this tangent back in. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, I, I saw it on Friday morning in IMAX 3D uh, with three other people. Oh wow! Uh, well, 10:30 in the morning, you know, still school. You know, people working. I had the day off. It was great, uh, which was good because when that one cameo scene came by, when I saw it Saturday afternoon with my son, everybody was laughing over. You couldn't hear the first like three lines out of them, <laughs> which is a shame because it was funny and it went by quick. Yes. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if we'll talk about trailers later on, but I uh, saw uh, extra bonus Captain America footage in front of the that one, which was which is really cool. And uh, no, just really enjoyed it. Got I most importantly, I got out of this movie what I didn't get out of Iron Man. I said this elsewhere. I wasn't on your episode talking about it, but what disappointed me about Iron Man three was not the movie itself. I've come to really enjoy that movie for what it is, but what I was expecting was more of what I loved about Phase One, which was the world building and tying things together, and we got a uh, we definitely got more of that. It was very much its own standalone movie, but we got a lot of foreshadowing for what's coming, specifically with Guardians of the Galaxy, I think. Yeah. And most likely Avengers 3 as well. Possibly, yeah. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I had uh, a terrible theater, theater experience for this movie. Um, the entire theater was too quiet in terms of the actual sound system. It needed to go up about 30%. But beyond that, for the first half of the movie, and I'll tell the, the full story on Jersey Shore to save some time, but um, I was very distracted by a, 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 possibly multiple groups of kids in the back who kept running up and down the aisles and, and talking, who eventually got kicked out, thankfully. But so while I really, really enjoyed the second half of the movie where they weren't there, I missed a lot of stuff in the first half, which was very unfortunate, because I, I did enjoy this movie quite a bit. So that might have been why I missed Idrisil. <laughs> I saw it in IMAX 3D in the uh, the morning, this morning, actually. Uh, there weren't too many people there, probably about half full. Uh, luckily, I didn't have a bad experience with kids or anything. Uh, I did see the same footage that... Uh, um, uh, uh, Ken is talking about, but because we got there late, I didn't see really any other previews. Cool. I actually saw it in, there's a new theater in Houston. It's called the Palladium by a uh, theater chain called Santicos. And it's, it's kind of almost rivaling in a way to, uh, 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 to the Alamo draft house. Um, but on a large, a much more grand scale, there's, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a, several bars, there's, you know, like you can get ice cream and, you know, there's, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, sandwiches and, um, pizza or just different types of food. And there's like kind of a courtyard area. There's like a bowling alley inside there. Uh, there's a couple of what they call VIP theaters where they actually serve you in the theater, kind of like, kind of like the Alamo draft house. Um, and it, it, it's very nice leather seats, the whole nine yards, but yeah, so a pretty enjoyable ex- experience o- overall, uh, I, I, I definitely liked it. I this one. What did you guys think? Did you guys think that this was more more of a quote unquote sequel, or kind of picked up the pieces from the Avengers than say Iron Man three, or do you think it was pretty even as far as the connections and the continuation of the story? I'd probably say about even. I mean, yeah. Iron Man three was almost. I don't want to say entirely about uh, Tony's reaction to to Avengers, um, but it certainly dealt with it. And here it was dealing. Less so with Thor's reaction to Avengers, but with Loki's. Yeah, and even then, it was it was it. it I'm going to assume that the, the the scene early on with Loki being approaching Odin and change was, you know, directly directly after he arrived back from Earth. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's you know, so that so that just give it basis in timeline here, which I mean, it's, it kind of makes sense with Selvig still being so crazy if it was that close to the events of New York. Um, but yeah, I think it was more about. Um, or it's going to be less less about the cleanup of, of the Avengers other than just acknowledging the, where it took place in time. Because for Thor, hey, I'm, I'm back home. I'm dealing with, with the the, nine, the rest of the Nine Realms, trying to clean up Loki's mess. Although that said, um, if it's that close to Avengers being done, why didn't Thor just take the Bifrost? Because like, it, looks, it looks like he's been using it for a little while at least. So I don't... It's a little fuzzy, I guess, from that point of view. But definitely, Iron Man three was more about the after effects of of New York, um, specifically for Tony. It's not so much the rest of the world than uh, than than Thor was. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like that they kind of picked up on the on the fact that there's chaos in the nine realms, you know, and that it kind of gives a little purpose to what Thor's been doing since he got back from Earth, you know, on onto Asgard, and why he hasn't come back to Earth or to see Jane or you know any of that, you know any of what's going on either either you know based on what we saw in Iron Man 3 or anything that he's kind of had to him and the, him and the warriors 3 of and Sif have kind of had to go play uh play world cop 
you know, to all the other worlds and kind of get them back in line and stop all the chaos. Which I got to say, I have very few negatives about this movie, but the scenes on, I think it was Svartenheim or whatever, but the one, Hogan's home world, I didn't love all that Vanaheim, stuff. Vanaheim, I believe. Was it Vanaheim? Okay. We, we yeah. saw so many realms that I get the IMs mixed up, but uh, I, I liked the battle stuff, but I got to say a lot of the... Uh, red shirt villains, if you will, felt like a TV version of the Star Wars cantina scenes. Like I didn't <laughs> yeah. love a lot of how they looked. Um, I, it didn't really take me out of the movie, but they just looked a little goofy. Not quite goofy in the way that like Curse looked like a Power Rangers villain, but they right. just looked like well, okay, the... let's put this on their hat, like uh, on their head, like a helmet, and uh, give them a, a sword, and that's them. You know what? They looked like what they were when the rock monster was coming down. And they all just kind of stopped, looked around. They looked like what they were, a bunch of extras told to look busy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And 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 what you're talking about with the you know well, you get, you get this hat and you get that hat and that'll make you look like this and yeah exactly that's that's uh, I definitely get that vibe. Uh, Which I hope we scene. don't get the same feeling from Guardians. Like I'm hoping Guardians doesn't have that same feel in a lot of its much more cantina-like scenes where they're actually in space that we actually have some facial makeup and some differentiation of characters and not just a bunch of people in weird armor. Well, g- given what we got from our mid-credits scene, which that looked right out of a s- episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Um, or I'm Doctor gonna, Who. Or or even Doctor Who to get a little lower budget. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm not sure what we're going to find when we get to the Guardians. Then, you know, of course, you know, a big part of the plot is that uh, Jane is in England doing more research, and and she's come across another anomaly, and then ends up finding between her, in between dates, yeah, in between dates uh, that she seems disinterested in. Um, I guess that portal kind of reared itself because the nine realms are kind of coming into alignment. That was that was what I got. I didn't think that this was like a permanent fixture. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and she was only there because Selvig called her because he was there. Right initially researching these events and she's always been looking for Thor. She's still been looking for Thor. So of course she'd be interested in something like this. Um, and yeah, those, those rifts those, or portals or whatever we're calling them are only happening because of the convergence. Yeah. Even as, as uh, Heimdall said, you know, she studies, she doesn't know it yet, but she studies the convergence. Right. She's seen it. And then, you know, we kind of get the, she gets into trouble. She gets infected with the ether uh, and then, and then comes back. Did anybody, did it seem really odd and almost really low-key, and not low-key, but, but low-key, yeah, low-key. Low-key, uh, low-key. Yeah, and almost uh, like dreamlike quality. Like when Jane turns around and Thor is standing there, I almost thought that because of her experience in the portals or whatever, that maybe she was seeing a vision of him or seeing, like they were kind of communicating maybe through the rift or whatever. I didn't, I was for a minute there, I thought, well, maybe he's not physically there uh, until everybody else saw him. But it just—it seemed very uh, downplayed, like when he showed up, as opposed to normally when you see, you know, the the you know the the Bifrost open and you get the you know the thunder and the lightning and all the effects and everything. It was just like, oh, there he is, he's just standing there. I, I thought the same thing, and uh, I actually thought that it was that was a choice to make us believe that for that moment, if if it was real or not. I, I, that's what I thought because I thought the exact same thing. So then we get kind of the the you know this where she gives him the slap and then I, I thought that was kind of funny where she's you know he gives the excuse that you know he of what he was doing basically 
you know, since everything's been going on and, and the bit about New York. So I thought that was that was kind of kind of funny. But I, again, I think a couple of those scenes we've already seen in the previews. So it, it, it didn't kind of have the same impact when I saw it, like for the fifth or you know tenth time or whatever. Right. Right. You know, going back to, uh, a couple minutes in the movie when they were messing with the portals and dropping shoes and keys and everything in there and. The whole time this was happening, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder where they're going or when are we going to find out where they're going. I just kind of – even especially when they lost the keys, I was like, all right, we're going to we're gonna find them at some point in the movie. It just seemed a little too obvious that they were setting us up for something that then, sure enough, that's that's what we found down the road. You know, usually I'm pretty good at spotting those Chekhov's guns. I, I did not this time, though, so kudos to you for, for catching it. I did like all those scenes, though, with them in that – courtyard area i'm not sure exactly what that building was supposed to be but with them having fun with the portals and then throwing stuff in and um what was was there a explicit connection that i missed again my theater experience was terrible but you know selvig's at stonehenge right and then when they first get to that place with the floating truck and the the portals and everything there's a bunch of shipping containers that are arranged like half of stonehenge my my take on that was that 5,000 years ago, the center of the convergence was at Stonehenge, and that's how those rocks got arranged. That's what they're implying. Oh, okay. So that's that's what I took out of it. That was the site 5,000 years ago. Um, I could and, buy that. And so so now if something similar is happening, why they just happened to go in the exact same arrangement other than to give us that visual connection – I don't. I don't know. Unless it's like a three D representation of the runes that always appear whenever the Bifrost is activated. Maybe you know what I mean. Like they yeah. always show up on the ground in that same pattern. Right. 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 But yeah, I thought that, that <clears throat> all that stuff was pretty cool. I, I think bringing Jane to Asgard, I thought was 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 nice. That you know we didn't get the. It was kind of the opposite. You know, in, in the first Thor, we got a. A, pre- a pretty good part of the movie that took place on Earth and very and somewhat very little on um, Asgard or any of the other realms. And this one, it was kind of the opposite. You know, I think we got mm-hmm. we got very, you know very little on Earth. You know, really, you know, the bulk of that came in the climax, which I thought I thought was fine. Um, whereas in, in the other one, the climax kind of happened on Asgard. You know, the big fight right. between Loki and Thor. Um, yeah, one of the legitimate concerns or uh, criticisms I heard of the original Thor movie was that there wasn't enough Asgard, although I kind of conceded the point with um, considering what the goal of that movie was, which was to establish Thor and the idea of magic into this world they had been building. At that point, we had, what, two Ironmans and a Hulk were out. Or no, and Cap, no Cap was coming. Uh, right. That um, they really had to fit that into what we what we they built so far and make it work with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Earth and all that, so what we got from the original Thor made more sense. And I said, even then I said, but if there were to be a next a Thor two, I really would hope there'd be more Asgard and be more in the nine realms. And that's exactly what we got. And so I was very happy for, for that. And they did, I think a, a, a good job with what they had. Um, I think there's a lot going on. And I think that's why we had a, you know, a villain that was, I'm not going to say disposable. He was a previously established, uh, character in, in the Thor comics. In fact, uh, Walt Simonson got a credit for as a creator of Malekith, but uh, it, it's um, uh, it was really we got to see more of the Nine Realms and uh, and like I said earlier, um, uh, at least two references to uh, set us up for Guardians. Well, one of the things yeah. that Malekith and the Dark Elves did was, uh, I mean, lend a credible threat to the Asgardians. I mean, they live four or five thousand yes. years. You know, they they you know, worshipped as gods. They're incredibly strong, nigh invulnerable. They have all these powers and gifts or whatever. 
I mean, the Dark Elves were a credible threat. I mean, you had to have something that could, I mean, when they attack Asgard and you realize, you know, how powerful the Dark Elves actually are, that they can attack this giant, you know, shining techno-marvel, you know, techno-magical city on the hill and, and it'll be as successful as it, you know, as they were at it. Um, it kind of, it does really lend to the threat of, of Malekith and, and all that. So I appreciated that much, but I mean, like what Jordan said, it could have been anybody, sure. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I like how he got yeah, a scar, that was... you know, cause the, whenever we see Malekith in the comics and I, I, I don't recall like what his, and Jim, maybe you do like the origin of that, you know, where half his face is dark and the other half is, is light. And I wasn't sure if that just had just. I, I didn't know what the origin of that was, but I thought it was really cool that, um, you know, he just pissed Thor off to the point where he just shot him with a lightning bolt and, and scarred half his face. I thought that was that was pretty cool. A nice touch. You, know, you really should not leave your ethers hanging around, you know, just sitting there <laughs> like on a on a table or a whatnot shelf or whatever. You really, you know, you should lock those things up. I'm just saying, you know. It's good advice. And I'm, I'm also glad they didn't drag the whole uh, Jane Foster holding the ether too much. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that wasn't like the crux of the, of the final plot. Like, like they had to save Jane and she was going to be out of commission from that point forward. I like that. They kind of resolved that and that kind of amped it up even further to, to create, you know, the, the true climax that we actually got in the movie. So I, 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 I thought that was, that was smart. See, going in, I thought they were going to kill off Jane Foster because I'd read somewhere that Natalie Portman wasn't uh, too thrilled being part of the Marvel movies anymore and wanted to be out of it or what have you. So I, I kind of went in with the assumption that she would be killed off. I'm glad she wasn't. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Miss Portman. Let me add another zero to that check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> uh, it's more like, you saw that we replaced Terrence Howard, right? You saw that he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've already established in other movies that a lot of women look exactly like you, so we can just replace you. Hello, Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> well, I was thinking more of, uh, what's her name from Domino? Oh, uh, Karen Knightley? Karen Knightley, who who played her double in, in the Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Which, by the way, uh, this is now the second movie I've seen, well, no, at least third movie I've seen with uh, Natalie Portman, where she is heavily involved in dream sequences. Uh, not the best, not the worst in terms of those dream sequences. I'd say Revenge of the Sith, probably the worst dream sequences, <laughs> and Black Swan, probably the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. How about Loki? Uh, it, you wanna... it made every scene he was in better. Yeah. Yeah. And the very last scene, that stinger in the end. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thor yeah, did... the hall. Yeah. All right. So, what's the implication of that scene? Did Thor kill, o- or uh, did Loki kill Odin? I don't think so. I don't I... think so. I think Loki just kind of sat in Odin's stead at that point, so he could get Thor to leave Asgard. You know, because because last we saw, well, we saw him die, quote unquote. We saw the effects, the, sh- the effects of him changing form into an Asgardian warrior, and then that war reporting to Odin that Loki was dead, and then we cut away. So we know, or we believe that. That warrior Loki was alone with with Odin, and next thing you know, we see Loki impersonating Odin. And sure what we're supposed to 
more importantly than just impersonating him, even when he turns back into himself, he's still carrying Odin's spear. Yeah. Now, I don't think that means Odin's necessarily dead, but Odin's sleep or somewhere out of commission, you know, he's been put under some glamour that he looks like Loki and now he's back in prison and Loki's dead, maybe. Well, they Um, think Loki's dead, though. Oh, that's true. Well, then just as some rando, uh, random, random villain that they yeah. have in the prisoner. But. But there's not many places I would think Odin could be um, that Thor wouldn't find out pretty quickly that, wait a minute, Odin couldn't be, especially the Odin sleep, that, that one wouldn't be it. Because Thor would find out pretty quickly that, well, that wasn't Odin I was talking to. Right. I think this is, I think this is a hedge of the bet, right? If yeah. If they get Anthony Hopkins to agree to come back and it doesn't cost him a bajillion dollars, then they we find that he's locked up somewhere and that's, you know, a major plot point of Thor having to rescue Odin, you know, whatever. If they can't or don't want to get Anthony Hopkins back, then it's easy that Loki just killed him and took his place. But even if he took his place, he's still masquerading as Odin, which means they need Anthony Hopkins' face. Ah, good point. I mean, maybe not for the whole movie. But for a scene or two. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe depending on how many days they want to pay him for, but they could have him Leonard Nimoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Just one or right, two scenes on. and Yeah. Who um talk about Odin real quick. There there's a there's a couple moments. A lot of the things that made me just smile in this movie were just moments that they just got right. And one of the ones that jumped out was we we saw crows in the first Thor now and then. We during the in the Avengers we saw uh, in in the scene of Thor and, and Loki on the mountaintop talking. Right. Crows were flying around them, but in this one, uh, not only did a crow come down and land on on Odin's arm, but yes, in the, in the quick shot, it looked like and I saw it twice. So I was able to try to look for it. It did look like he was speaking to the crow, which was just like mm, I'd like that. Oh, I didn't catch that. The the speaking part. Yeah. It goes quick. It goes quick, and it's from like, uh, you know, like like a silhouette to you know from behind him just a little bit. It just looked like his jaws moving. It goes real quick, and uh, I I choose to believe that I did see his mouth moving. I speaking back to of Loki. Did you guys? What did you guys think of the whole deception thing? Right, he he gives him the knife. He stabs him. They roll down the hill, and then Loki cuts off Thor's hand. Yeah, the uh, whole time I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I knew something was up. I didn't know what it was. I was I torn. fully bought it because, we, and they had leaked that at Comic Con where people had, you know, said, "Oh, they showed us the shot of him cutting off the hand," and I just figured, "Oh, they'll give Thor a robot hand or a destroyer hand or give him a new magic hand." Um, but I, I loved the kind of you know, double cross or triple cross, really, of what it was in the scene. Yeah, it was. I think it made for a really good sequence because, again. You know, Loki, the, you know, the God of lies, the king of deception. And so you're really just not sure. I was, I I was like, it was one of those, I'm 60% sure this is all a ruse, but I'm 40% sure that it's not, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but I think it played out really well. I think, you know, just his hand getting cut off and Thor kind of faking it. And then, um, when he put the, the, the antimatter bomb or the black hole bomb or whatever it was called, the black hole grenade, Onto curse, and that's how they got rid of him. I, I thought that was that was pretty cool. And then Thor saving, th- saving Loki. I think that that whole scene to me just worked very very well. Yeah, I knew there was going to be a double cross, and twice before we had seen where there was a um, an illusion, um, and to have it be disturbed when it was touched. You know, when Loki was talking to Frigga in in the cell, and then Jane's Jane's illusion with uh, Frigga and Malekith later on. So I was waiting for them to touch, you know, the, the, the one-handed Thor and have that illusion disappear. And when he kicked him over and he didn't, I'm like, okay, wait a minute, this might not be it. 
So I was still waiting for the shoe to drop. And then, but then finally, when I saw Loki, you know, got impaled, I was like, okay, here it comes. He's going to pretend, you know, when he, and when he died, I'm like, okay, that's it. He's, he's going to come back. And it was, wasn't my five minutes later when you realized he, he was fine. Right. Um, but I knew Loki was, w- there would be a betrayal, but I also didn't think Loki would, would rush into it like that. I did. I, I, I just didn't think that was it, but I doubted it once or twice. I thought the the black hole bomb or whatever black hole grenade or whatever you want to th- call it was pretty cool. I mean, the, the, they make a point of calling them the dark elves and that they you know want to engulf everything in darkness. And so, what's the ultimate darkness but a black hole? So I thought that was I thought that was yeah. a pretty cool device. Yeah, I kind of read it as antimatter, but it reminded me of uh, similar grenades used in uh, the Mass Effect series, and I've always loved that kind of visual effect. And I don't think it's very complicated to do. They're kind of just, you know, selecting a, a section of the screen and warping it, kind of, not fisheye, but kind of in a swirl, and it, yeah. it's a cheap effect, but it looks really good. Yeah. Yeah, I like the way they, they used it in the throne room in, in particular, you know, taking out the columns and taking away, taking out some of the Asgardian warriors. And of course, the throne. The throne, yeah. Um, just, just, just casually tosses like, "Yep, that's gone." It was a cool way to give it a different looking tech, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like it would have been really easy. Oh, that looks like you know, so and so from Star Trek, or that looks like something from Star Wars. It was, it was a different look. So I appreciated that a lot. Well, speaking of the Dark Elves tech, I loved their ships. I loved that the the fighters looked like B wings and kind of handled like B wings. And just the way that the, I don't even know if they have a name. If I, if I had a name on it, I would call them Blades. But I loved how they kind of slotted into the mothership. Yeah, um, yeah. That was just a really cool design. Yeah, yeah, I think. And again, Jordan, like you said early, it, it kind of made them have that more sci-fi aspect. Because when the thing kind of lit up, we saw, you know, like there were buttons. You know, it, even when Thor, you know, was trying to trying to steer the ship, which I thought was kind of a funny moment between him and Loki, kind of picking back and forth. But you could tell it had, you know, like controls, you know, like like technology and even the skiff to some degree that Loki was was uh, driving. You know, it, it, I like right. that it was like a gondola almost where he controlled like a yeah. center, um, you know, fin to guide it. I thought that was that was pretty cool. And, and they powered up and hummed like machines. You yeah. Know, like yeah. That, oh, when, they sounded like pod racers. Yeah, kind of. But the, like when uh, the ether, you know, gets sucked into Jane and the. Uh, the, the Dark Elves, you know, ship starts to power up. It, it really did look like, you know, an, a machine powering up, not, you know, magic. And I, I love that the uh, the Dark Elves uh, script looked like the Punisher, not the Punisher script, the uh, the Predator script. Oh, yeah. From, from his uh, little wrist gauntlets. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. That whole chase sequence I thought was very well done also. But I was a little disappointed, but I get it. It, it worked in the context they did it. That... Uh, that the Warriors three and Sif didn't go along for that journey. I think that would have been kind of cool to have the whole lot of them on it. But I get, I, I liked how they basically kind of dump. You know, first Sif got dumped off, then Volstagg got dumped off, and then you know Fandral shows up to to kind of save them. Uh, you know, in the end, there. I, 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 I and then that gets was... to pull an Errol Flynn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I did enjoy it. It, it, it. We said earlier it was a good way to use them. You know, gave them kind of three little choke points to get them like that much more time to get to the next the next step, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a it was a good way to use them to use them, I guess. And structurally, I loved. I mean, I said it before, but I loved that they did it as a heist movie for that twenty minutes or whatever, yeah. and yeah. they kept us in the dark as much as you know the as the other Asgardians, and that we were only finding out the plan after we saw how it was carried out. 
Yeah, I got a very effective. a very Ocean's Eleven feel of that when uh, when uh, uh, Danny Ocean we talking about what they're gonna do when you're at, and you're, he's narrating what you're seeing on the screen at the same time. It was definitely that kind of moment. We uh, really enjoyed it. Exactly. Uh, of course, the, the the highlight of the entire jailbreak was once Loki does get him to the passage and goes to the portal. As he's exiting the other end, you hear, "Ta-da!" <laughs> <laughs> and I love uh, Heimdall's you know part in the play too, where he summons Odin and says, "I must warn you of a great treason," and he says, "My own," and he pulls the sword and hands it over. I thought that was that was kind of cool. Again, another distraction to kind of give them time to to get away. Which has Heimdall committed treason in both movies now? Well, again, it, just like the worst three, it's, it, it felt very much well. It's the same role. It's the yeah. same thing. It's like, I, I don't, yeah, I, I let him through. Yeah. Asgard must have a three strikes policy. So next time, they're really screwed. <laughs> yeah. I did, lo- I did love the scene where the riot was going on, where the Dark Elves were breaking into Asgard all around Loki, and he's just sitting there reading a book. Yeah. Yes. Looking out the window, just kind of, yeah. And then Curse just. He has that moment where he's like, maybe I should free him. No, I don't think I will. <laughs> well, it was it was almost the same exact moment with Thanos and Black Swan in in uh, Infinity or, or Avengers or New Avengers. I yeah, yeah, took yeah. place in. But that uh, that there's, there's a look between them, and then you know what? I think it's better if I leave the mischief maker behind bars. Yeah. Which then I don't have the reveal think... of Loki being. Not who he appeared to be in the cell later on when Thor comes to see him. Yeah. Even better, where he's giving yeah. this appearance the whole time of him being in control, and he's not. Yeah, I don't. And Curse didn't know Malkith that matter. Doesn't not know who Loki is. No, I mean they've no. been asleep for five thousand years, and they don't know who all the players are. All he said was, "This is an enemy of Asgard. I saw him in the cell. That's all yeah. he knows about this guy." Right, but he can sense something's off. Yeah, he sense. I mean, otherwise he released every single person. Yeah, I just took that as like he just looked at it and it's like, yeah, you're not going to help me in a fight. You can stay here. You're a little scrawny twig. What do I need you for? The rest of the guys, he he freed them because you know he just needed cannon fodder. He needed a distraction so he can get to where he needed to where he needed to be. Right. I did like the bit where Thor shows up and he he calls him on it, you know, and says, you know, let me see your true self, because you know that was a huge. You know, big, that was a big thing in Thor, and then you know, of course, the big you know, the big trickery in Avengers, where he gets locked in the. Uh, yeah, in the will Hulk you ever not proof, fall for that? Yeah, the Hulk, Hulk proof safe. So this time he he you know called him on it right away, which I thought was cool. And then we see that that Loki's a little more worse for the wear than he would lead anyone to believe. Mm-hmm. At least since his mother's death, which we have not touched right. on yet. Right. Uh, Freya or Freya Frigga, however Frigga. they say it in this Frigga. particular version, dead. Yeah. With a Viking funeral and everything. Uh, which was, again, those moments, nice touch yes. doing it at a Viking funeral like that. I mean, that there's no other way to have done that scene. And not only that, her leading the way, and then you saw all of the dead from the battle being being put to sea. That was and really she actually, cool. She actually, well done. And she actually holds her own against Malekith for a bit. Yeah. Yep. Know, in the fight, which I oh, thought was yeah. cool. I mean, it, it would have been, uh, probably would have been a cop-out if she hadn't. You know, I mean, it, make, it would make sense that you know, Odin's wife would have to be a warrior woman born, too, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, that was a cool scene. I mean, and it wasn't... Yeah, so I guess we can we can kind of move... I guess we're kind of at the at the tail end here. We can move to the to the kind of the climax of it. And I thought there was a lot of good moments in the climax. You know, mainly the portals. You know, Jane made a point of saying that once this convergence happens, that the laws of physics will cease and all this craziness will happen. And we got a, a lot of funny bits with him, you know, throwing the hammer and... He, you know, he basically gets separated from the hammer. The hammer is kind of traveling through the portals and 
and Thor's emerged the other side, and uh, that was kind of a funny bit where he has to hop on <laughs> on the uh, on the subway, the the British subway, and ask <laughs> where where uh, uh, or them Ken, sliding down the building or... was hilarious. Yeah, the, the, the whole thing with portals made me think of the video game Portal, but just added a lot of humor where I was not expecting it, and just really cool action sequences. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was it was very well done. Yeah, you... Yeah, you mentioned the effects with the hammer. Just well, yeah, he's suddenly on another world, so the hammer's going to go to him wherever he is. And it, uh, and, I, and it kind of accentuated the point that he cannot fly without without the hammer. That the hammer is what enables him to fly. Yes, I love the sound effect that they use for the hammer. Yes, I just think that kind of that that low hum. That oh, and we we haven't mentioned it at all. Perfect. So how about the moment where Thor hangs the hammer on the coat rack? <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, hilarious! I expected yep, the coat yep. rack to fall, but it, that the fact that it didn't fall, I think, was even the right. more made it even more funny. It, oh, it's not heavy. It, it, well, it is heavy, but it's not. It, you, yep. People can't pick it up because it's heavy. They can't pick it up because it's magical. Right, right. But yeah, that was a funny bit. And then he, <laughs> when they're not to backtrack too much, but when they're in kind of that that nether zone with the with the portal, when they think they're trapped, <laughs> he's like, "Why are there so many shoes?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought yep. that was kind of funny. Um, just little bits like that. But yeah, I thought the ending was cool. And then, you know, the whole bit with the, the you know, the, the pylons or whatever that had to be, um, you know, put in there and, and the little gadget. I mean, some of that was a little deus ex machina, but. Yeah, um, a little bit. But it but it was, it, it kind of made for an interesting bit, you know, where she accidentally teleports Darcy and, and Ian. I thought that was kind of funny. As they're kissing, um, yeah. After he saves her yeah. life, which yeah. is fun. Yep. But then, you know, I, it, again, to you, a little bit of telegraph, you know, when you saw Ian with a little hammer kind of hammering the spikes in, I was like, oh, OK, well, that's going to uh, I'm, I'm sure yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a bigger, bigger hammer is going to be needed at some point. Yep. Uh, and so that was kind of cool. And, 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 and what what was uh, telling, though, as far as, you know, the spikes, though, ultimately it was the spikes. It was this human made taped together device that is what ultimately saved the day. Yeah. Without those things, they lost. True. Yeah. It was ultimately, you know, these things that Selvig had made in this crazy, you know, madman state. Yeah. And it made for a cool sequence when all that red was around, you know, Thor just kind of disappeared into all that dust. And I thought it was really cool because you really get to see the true power of, of Thor, you know, where he's trudging against, you know, this this wind and and all this stuff getting thrown at him. And he, you know, he he's able to heave those those spikes at Malaketh, and then of course the last one that just he kind of draw, you know, this it's kind of a combination of the stake and the hammer and the elect, and the lightning and everything that that is the ultimate undoing. But but I thought it was pretty cool. It it, it worked it worked for me. I mean, I just I, I thought it was I thought it was well done. When I really love the effect of the ether in general, um, not not the end part necessarily. I, I thought that was cool. But what I'm specifically referring to was when it's more just around a person. Um, it had a yeah. not a liquid look, not a dust look, but something in between. It wasn't Venom and it wasn't Sandman, but it was... It was Mercury. Kind of, but also it still had a granular feel to it in some places, and I liked that. It was it was different. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as it was being extracted. I, I didn't see granular, but when it was being pulled from, from uh, Jane, it was coming from every pore and tear duct and any orifice it could find its way out of her. Um, but it's coming up as droplets, you know, little particulates, even maybe as you're saying. Um, Those scenes and, kind of but still keeping that fluid, that fluid uh, feel to it, and, and fluid not so much being liquid, but just fluid being 
you know, sugar is a, can be considered a fluid if you know what right, I mean. Right. Yeah. The, those scenes kind of reminded me a little bit of 300 where with the Oracle, when the way Snyder did that effect was literally putting her in water and having her kind yeah. of, kind mm-hmm. of uh, dancing around. It, it kind of had that feel to it. And then, of course, the very the very end, you know, Thor saves the day. He has to leave. He goes back to Asgard. And then, you know, the kind of the scene we already talked about where he he basically tells who he thinks is Odin at that point that I'm uh, I don't want to be king, you know, and, and even if you tell me that, you know, this mortal Jane Foster can sit as my queen, it's not going to change my mind. I I want to be, you know, I, I, I think it was more than Jane. I think he just has this fondness for for Midgard. I mean, which, again, kind of. Uh, you know, harkens back to the comics. I mean, that's kind of always, yeah. you know, you know, ever since he was put on Earth to be humbled, Midgard is kind of, uh, you know, Thor's weak spot, you know, and, and he he has a, uh, he just, he, he just has, has a, a thing for, for Midgard and wanting to be amongst humans. There's, there's a line that he says to Odin, quote unquote, uh, that's pretty much sums up his entire thoughts, which is, I would rather be a good man than a great king. Um, I think a lot of that is yes, he he wants to be able to be there for Midgard, but I think he doesn't he doesn't have the 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 ability or the flexibility, or he just feels tied down. If he's king, he's got to stay there and send others out. He he's not the kind to do that. He wants to be the one, or needs to be the one, to go out and 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 impact that. Not that Odin didn't go out and you know fight the wars. He certainly did. But well, but I mean, even with that, I mean, I think you're onto something, Ken. He doesn't want to be his father, and his father was a brave warrior and a smart man and all these things, but having to sit on the throne and make decisions for the many instead of actually you know, swinging the sword himself leads to a lot of decisions that Thor can't abide by, and he doesn't want to have to make those decisions in the same way that his father did. He'd much rather be the one to go against his father and do the thing that has to be done right now. Right. Yeah, the only negative with that scene was, you know, Odin's praise of Thor and say, oh, you once said that, you know, there would never be a wiser king than me or whatever. And that, you know, that is not true. You know, once you once you find out it's Loki and I was pretty sure it was Loki right off the bat. Um, it, it just kind of took the it took the wind out of that a little bit. Um, but but I, I you know, it, it made sense in the context of. of oh, I, you know, I, had no, I had no idea it was Loki and I was so glad to be surprised like that. Oh, yeah, I of all the things I did pick up on, I didn't pick up on that. And to your point about you know taking something away, finding out it's Loki. I just think it just shows you how much of a salesman Loki really is. <laughs> uh, true. Yeah. 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 So this is the second phase, technically phase two movie that we've seen. So we've got Iron Man three at this point. We've got Thor: The Dark World. We have uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier coming up, which we've seen enough of that movie, I think, to get kind of a whiff of what's going on. It almost seems like phase one was about how the heroes have changed the world, like introducing these, you know, these characters, you know, Cap, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, you know, back into the world, how it changes the world. I mean, everything has changed. I mean, we see that in S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, how, how the, you know, this, these things that have happened have changed the world. It seems at least so far with Phase 2, and, and again, so far with just, just two movies and then, and then a preview, that Phase 2 maybe seems more about, how the character, how the characters have, are changing, and not so much the world changing. You know, we saw at the at the end of Iron Man three that uh, Tony Stark is not the same Tony Stark. I mean, he's he's pulled out the arc reactor out of his chest, but yet he he's you know he emphatically says, "I am Iron Man." So you know, 
but but not the same man that he was. We see that Thor, instead of you know wanting to rule in Asgard and to be an Asgardian, he really wants to be with Jane and to be among um, among humans on on Earth and and kind of to to be able to set that aside. And then so far, now granted, Captain America: The Winter Soldier is not out yet. We we kind of see Steve questioning, you know, Shield and his role in in the world and how the world has changed, you know, since he you know. He, where he comes from, which is from, you know, the thirties and the forties. Uh, so I, I think that now guardians is going to be probably an exception to that, but I, I just thought that was kind of an interesting theme, whether it's intentional or not. It's just something that I picked up on. No, I, I buy that, that, you know, phase one's them changing the world. Phase two is the world changing them. The question is, what does yeah. phase three become then? Sounds like a whole new, whole new set of, of characters. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, we, before we get to the end credit stuff, we uh, completely breeze past the uh, major cameo in this movie. Chris Evans is Captain America. <laughs> yep. In one of yeah. the best parts of the movie. And and the whole sequence of just changing forms, everything from Thor changing the Sif, and was fun without that. And then that showed up. So we changed it. How about one of your new companions? And, and all of a sudden there's Chris Evans full on cap costume and basically Chris Evans playing it up as playing up as a, as a local type character. It was, just so, it was him getting so to make funny. fun of himself, which was nice. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Having fun. And it wasn't Hiddleston's voice. That was Evan's voice too. That, you know, the well, other, that was, yeah, the other characters kept their voice. Like when, you know, he changed Thor's form, it was still his voice. When, you know, when Hiddleston, you know, when he changed it, you know, into Sif at first, it was, you know, his, still his voice. So I thought that was kind of cool that it was just full on Chris Evans. And I just, I about died laughing. That was, that was just, I mean, the whole theater just was laughing. It was, it, that was, that was an unexpected treat. Yeah, I knew so you know Cap was involved, but I assumed it was a after credit scene. So when he popped up there, it, it blew me away. I had no idea it was coming, but I tell you, you know what was fun? My son, my six-year-old, when he saw Cap, he like, oh. America. but it's really Loki. I'm like, yeah, it's really Loki, but it was still fun. Mm. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, one of the best moments of the whole movie wasn't from the movie itself. This was from when I went to see it yesterday afternoon, 3.30 show with my son. Theaters, you know, not packed, but it's full enough. At the end, uh, Justice Malekith um, bought it as he disappeared, um, but before the ship came crashing down, it got real quiet. You know, the explosion happened real quiet. And all here, up in the front, was this little voice, somebody, some kid yelling, that was awesome! <laughs> whole whole theater just started laughing, you know, just like, you know, yeah, you're right, kid, it was. Like that moment from the, everyone's thinking, from the Incredibles where, where the kid... <laughs> the kid yes, exactly, exactly that moment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that moment. Exactly that moment. And it was just one of the most delightful things, because it was, and my son's reaction, his word as we're walking out was, that was epic. His own yeah. word. It, it was just, yeah, you know, kid, you're right. It was so, so well done. I really enjoyed it. So let's talk after credit scene. The first one is, you know, we talked about cameos at the beginning. We already talked about Chris Evans. So this one was interesting. Uh, we get to see Benicio del Toro as the collector, as he says, Tanelier Tavin, the collector. Now, does anybody of you know about that character? Yeah, oh, you I'm, I'm vaguely familiar yeah, okay. with him. I know his general I mean, idea. I've, I've looked. I've looked him up. I read the Marvel, uh, you know, entry on him, but I don't know much more about him than that. He's like a million years old or a billion years old. Collects Several everything. Bit. I mean, I'm, he was a big. I'm reminded of. Uh, Good. I was going to say he was like one of the guys, like the Games Master or the Stranger or the Gardener. The the Elders but, of the Universe. Right. The Elders. Yeah, of the he's universe. one of that. He's one of them. Yeah. 
and he just so collects the, stuff. Yeah. People. So the Warriors items. three, they're entrusting him with, I believe, the ether. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which, which we find, which we've talked about this in previous review shows. We've talked about it in commentaries about the cosmic cube being related to or possibly one of the infinity gems or pro- possibly creating an infinity gem. And so the probably the most awesome moment of this uh, post credit scene is we find that Sif and Volstag bring to the collector the ether trapped in its in its container and we find out that it is what what they're calling an infinity stone. And so they say now, two infinity stones, you know, being in Asgard is too many, you know, we trust right. that you'll you'll take care of this. When you dial, when you go back to earlier in the movie, when um, Odin is giving his little speech to Thor and Jane Foster, he talks about the relics of the universe of the universe before before it was born, before it was dawn. Most most of these relics appear as stones, but the ether is fluid. So he's talking about these Infinity Stones at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. And now we're and now we're finding that okay. So now we have the Infinity Stones. The Tesseract is one. The ether is another. There's four more. The collector himself is saying, "I've got one. I need the other five now, mm-hmm. or six to go, or five." He to says go. five to go. Five to go. Five to go. Five he to does go. say five to go. He does say five to go. But what of all of this is telling is they completely wasted their throwaway scene because we already saw the Infinity Gauntlet in the Armory in the first Thor movie. But the Gauntlet without the gems is just a fancy glove. But they're now are they not gems, or are they going to? Are each of these individual stones going to transform into the gems that can go into the glove? Well, what right, is a gem if not a polished stone? True. <laughs> I don't know. I I think that's just one of those like they kind of threw that out there, not realizing where they were gonna go. It, it, that's where I'm going with yeah. that. So they, they're yeah. definitely going a different direction with what these Infinity Stones are going to become, or what they're going to be presented as in in these in this movie. I think that's a big takeaway. And um, perhaps in I, the I, MCU, I, the Gauntlet has its own power. And when someone figures out, hey, we can combine all the gems with the Gauntlet, that's like a revelation, not not a we're reassembling it type deal. Maybe or. Honestly, my, my my best guess is is it was just what we said it was. It was somebody put it in there because hey, wouldn't it be cool if? And they're just going to not use it at all. Yeah, I think that's probably more likely. It's possible. It's possible. Now, I mean, uh, I've said it many times on on the various H H W L O D shows. I'm a huge Guardians fan. I was really excited for a Guardians of the Galaxy scene, and while the Infinity Stone stuff was cool. Benicio Del Toro as the Collector was very strange. I, I don't think he's a major part of the Guardians movie. I think he's more of a background character. But this was not the taste I wanted of that movie. This was just weird. Especially, like, the hand gestures he makes. And his voice. and Like, when, when the Asgardians, he's like, oh, Asgardians, he makes this, like, weird, like, hand gestures. And I mean, I know Benicio Del Toro is known for kind of, you know, on-the-edge kind of weird characters to begin with anyway. But that just seemed kind of more than more than what was needed <laughs> you know yeah and now, did we recognize anything in in the collection that they showed us was there anything in it there looked like the face of Bo's sister in one of the tanks <laughs> <laughs> nice i i tried looking around because uh, i was like once i kind of realized what was going on you know that there were all these collected things there i i, I started trying to look for like the alien races to see if i see saw anything or any objects and nothing stuck out to me but Again, I was kind of trying to take in the scene as a whole. You know, this is definitely one, you know, yeah. either on second viewing or if I, you know, eventually when the Blu-ray comes out, you know, just being able to kind of freeze frame through some of this. I'm, I'm curious if anything comes up, but 
this, this, the scene I really need to do is when he takes that really deep bow, you get a good look at what's yeah. behind him, but yeah. it goes by very quickly. And I'm sure it'll be just like with the first Thor movie, where it's really the art of the movie book that comes out that'll really give you those good shots, <laughs> not any freeze frames. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it'll probably not be till Guardians. It'll probably be the art of Guardians, not of Thor Right, two. right. So, I mean, we know that's, you know, like most of these post credit scenes that involve the other movies, they're directed by the director of that movie. So this this sequence was directed by James Gunn. And I, I can was, buy that. That doesn't surprise yeah, me it, at all. And it wasn't Alan Taylor. Uh, so I thought it was cool that they brought in Sif and Volstagg for, for that, you know, post credit scene. But yeah, I, I agree. It kind of had a little bit of a cheesy quality. So I don't know if that's just because, you know, maybe they just didn't have at that point things developed in set pieces ready maybe it was early on in the guardians filming uh, you know uh, who who knows so i i think it'll it remains to be seen what uh what we actually get with that but i i, I think uh i'm i'm curious to see i'm i'm really really curious for a uh, full on guardians trailer yes absolutely and and really i mean like the collector is such a i don't want to say minor character cuz again we don't know what the movie's going to entail but it's 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 just not what I wanted to see. I wanted to see Drax or you know Star Lord or Groot or Rocket or anybody, you know, or just something aside from a third tier character in the story. I mean, I've been reading Guardians for a while now, and I've never even seen the Collector before. I've seen him in other things, um, and oddly, this was one of his least flamboyant appearances, um, with how flamboyant it was. But yeah, it was just still strange. I. Uh... I don't know. I, I've read a lot of uh, fan press or whatever already kind of freaking out over Guardians of the Galaxy just from this after credits sequence. Freaking out in a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Um, you know, see, referred to as like, you know, looking like Deep Space Nine or, or Babylon 5 or something. It just, I don't know. I, they're already like ready to, you know, dismiss the entire Guardians movie just because of this one after credits sequence. And I think that's ludicrous. Uh, all it takes is one good trailer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's really premature to be doing that. But it did seem a little weird, um, a little off, I guess. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that should be. I'm, I'm guessing if we don't get one beforehand, that by the time Cap comes out, we'll get a Guardians trailer. I would think before then, because we're. Yeah, we had a Thor trailer alongside of Iron Man 3 and now a Cap trailer alongside of Thor. I think it's a good bet we'll have a Guardians trailer alongside of uh, of Cap. And at that point, it'd be four months away from release. So I'd be, you know... Would it? Yeah, because it's... Guardians is August. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was later. Yeah, so Cap is... They pushed Cap up a little bit, I think, to give it some breathing room between that Cap's and... Cap's in April. Yeah, and then Guardians is like mid... I think mid mid-August, early August, so... Oh, I thought I thought it was a later November-ish release, uh, more like this was. Yeah, no. Interesting. Apparently, the next, I guess, November release we'll get is going to be Ant-Man in 2015, I think, if, if that holds, we'll get... So we have nothing coming between Guardians and Avengers 2? That's my understanding, yeah, that we won't, no, because... Yeah, he's right. Yeah, because Guardians is August 2014, and then Avengers is May 1st, 2015. Now, speaking of MCU connections, we already know that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to have a Thor 2 tie-in episode. Do we have any guesses as to what that might be based on seeing this movie now? Um, Were there any relics left over that we had seen? Or maybe they're going to be hunting down that monster? 
Yeah, that was gonna say. Let's get to the to the to the second end credit scene. Oh yes, yes, I um, forgot about that. Which is, you know, they made a big point of Jane saying two things with that went with this. One of the things uh, Darcy said it's been it was two years since he came back from the last time. So we know that from the end of Thor one to the beginning of Thor two, two years have passed. Right. Um, and it's about one year since Avengers. I'm guessing, yeah, because the Bifrost is repaired, and I think I've heard that other places that. That, so, that it's about a year. So the Loki scene, maybe he was just being moved or being brought before, or is that out of, seat, out of order from when things happened? Or the Bifrost could have been repaired on. for a while, but he's only been using it to quell the uprisings in the other realms. Or maybe it's just he periodically meet. Well, it could have been two things. One, maybe he periodically meets, you know, Loki wants an audience with Odin. Maybe this was just, again, to kind of give exposition as to what's been going on. You know, like, just to kind of remind people of what's going on, what happened at the end of the Avengers, just to get, give that context. Um, Maybe he was yeah, on I trial for an entire year. Yeah, I didn't take it as, like, that scene was shortly after he got back from, you know, from Thor yeah, bringing I mean, him back from the Avengers. Yeah, I really, that's exactly what I thought it was. That's really what I thought that scene was. It looked like he was just, he was finally arriving, although, yeah, I, I really thought that's what it was. I mean, it, it seemed... Right in line with okay, you, this is you're being presented before Odin. Now that you're back, yeah. But as for Shield, or I, I honestly hope it's not as simple as oh, well here here's a leftover Dark Elf artifact because yeah, well we found range all the Shatari artifacts. Now we'll find some other artifact to to, to look at. Yeah, it, it could either be the 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 I guess the ice monster, whatever you want to call it, that 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 came from which uh, is it? Uh, Svartalheim? Is, uh, is that no, Jotunheim the... is the is Which the is the dark, from, uh, the the frost giant realm? I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know what realm it came from, though. If it came from Jotunheim or not? Because what's the main ice uh, ice giant's name? It, it starts with a J, right? No, it, uh, Laufey. Oh, Laufey. But I'm pretty sure Laufey and the frost giants are from Jotunheim. Jotunheim. From thank Jotunheim. you. Yes. Oh, they, they are from Jotunheim. Yeah. They, yeah. They're definitely from Jotunheim. But I don't know if that's what where that came. Oh from. yeah, they were they were definitely I, from Jotunheim. Yeah, yeah. Because there was like ice. Yeah, it looked very much like Jotunheim. Yeah, it's a smaller yeah, version of the same thing Thor fought in the first movie. Yes. Right. Yes. That's what it looked like. So I figured it's probably, the, it's probably the same model. <laughs> Either tracking another monster. I, I really liked the way they left it because when they came up, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to find its way back through a portal. And then to see at the end, it was just it was just funny having chasing the bird. It was like very shawarma scene. Yeah. And Thor's back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Most and, importantly, and Thor is back the, on Earth. Yeah. And he, and he can come and go. He can do all that. We know that now. It's not as simple as you know. That's really what I got from that scene was that he can come and go as he pleases. The um, but Agents of Shield, I hope it's not as that simple or obvious as there's leftover tech or something going on because they've beat that up with the Shatari already in the six episodes. Whatever. Then it's what been. else do you think it could be? Um, I that's what I'm worried about. I was like, well, it's canopy. They're trying to find some missing shoes. Yeah. Miss, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, honestly, maybe maybe the the alignment isn't completely undone and there's a portal somewhere. Could be. Yeah, I would. You know that would be actually something interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, granted, the, the episode may take place two weeks later in our time, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen at the exact same time as the movie in the U.S. Plus, they, they name checked Shield like twice, and then she's like, you know, first you call the cops, then we, you know, they get cordoned off, then Shield comes in. You know, they that bugged me. That actually bugged me because we left Thor with her working with Shield like hand in hand, and and here she's like completely detached from them and with no explanation of that at all. That that actually bugged me a little bit. As a breaking continuity, you know, maybe something happened with Avengers, and that's why she broke off. You know, but still, they could have done a little bit more to, to say, "Well, wait, a minute, we when we left you, you were working with Shield." Hmm. Yeah. 
one thing I, I, I want to touch on is, and it's something they've really made a point of in the comics in the last few years, is that Earth is this all-important kind of source of convergence that of all the crazy things in the universe with people with crazy tech and everything else, they made a point in the comics of saying that Earth, because of its its heroes and because of the human condition, is like a focal point, that there's something... It's Avengers World. Yeah, that there's there's something special about it. Um, and the fact that the that um, Malekith had to come to Earth as the source of, you know, the convergence to kind of let the ether out to destroy and bring darkness to, to all the realms, I, I thought that was kind of, kind of fell into line with with the comics too. Well, and it also if, if the impression I got was that Earth just happened to be the centermost of all the realms, like in the in the order that they converge, and so it was the easiest place to attack from. So it didn't bother me in any way. Uh, one thing I thought about, and I, I've read a few people saying similar things online, was that uh, you know some people had problems with Iron Man three in that where's Cap? Why is Shield not getting involved here? Why isn't you know, any of the other heroes getting involved when the president's been kidnapped and when, you know, houses are being blown into the sea, etc. I like that they got a way around that with this movie where the action on Earth takes place in, like, the space of 20 minutes. Nobody had time to respond. You know, this was just a, all of a sudden there's a spaceship in England, and then half an hour it's later, it's gone. It's been destroyed. And it's been, you know, wiped into Iceland or wherever, whatever realm that was supposed to be. Um, it's gone, and so you don't have to worry about, well, where's Cap? Well, Cap couldn't even have gotten there on the fastest supersonic jet in time to deal with anything. Yeah, yeah, and I think, again, him being kind of taken off the board in Asgard, you know, helps with, you know, whatever was going on with Tony in Iron Man 3. Obviously, uh, you know, Thor had bigger fish to fry. Right, right. He doesn't care about the President of the United States. He's got nine entire realms at war. Yeah. If Jane Foster was the president of the United States in Iron Man three, then maybe he would have had time to, <laughs> to 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 bow out. But anything else? Any other stone we left unturned? Can't think of anything. Mm-mm. All right. Well, let's rate it, Mr. Morgan. We'll let you go first. Out of ten. I, w- I out of ten. Okay, I was about to say I was going to give it four out of five Infinity Stones, but I guess I will go with a uh, eight point five. Very good, Senior Dietz. I give it a solid eight. I liked it a little better than the first Thor movie, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I will echo Mr. Morgan. Now, again, caveat, the first half of the movie, I was very distracted, but at least for the second half of the movie, and from what I did get to see of the first half, I'll give it an 8.5. I really, really enjoyed this movie. I had a couple tiny little gripes, um, but in general, it was a lot of fun. Well, I'll give it the hat trick. I, I'm also going to give it an 8.5. I, I did overall like this better than the first one, uh, and it's not a knock against the first Thor movie, uh, but I did. I really, really liked it, um, and it. I, I think expectation setting has been a tough thing with, with some of these movies. I think that maybe was part of my deal with Iron Man 3. On on second viewing, I, I tended to... I, I, I think more fondly of Iron Man 3 on subsequent viewings than I did the first. And and this one, I just, I think I think I, I had the right expectation set going into the theater, uh, and I came out uh, pretty satisfied. So 8-5 so eight, eight, for me. Excellent. So anybody else got any closing thoughts? What's meow meow? <laughs> so I guess at this point, the next uh, movie that gets released in real, the next comic-related movie that we'll do on Real Heroes... Uh, to cover, I think at this point is going to be 
it, it'll be uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, correct? I mean, uh, there's nothing. Which comes out first, that or Days of Future Past? Uh, Winter Soldier for sure, because okay. that's May, that's April. Yeah, yeah, it's April. I think X Men's in May. Yeah, May gotcha. And then we'll have so it'll probably be. I'm guessing at this point it'll be for new release stuff at least. It'll be Captain America: The Winter Soldier, then X Men: Days of Future Past, and then probably Amazing Spider Man Two. Mm, yes. Um, unless something else sneaks in there too, which is escaping me for 2014. At this point, but good stuff coming. Um, as as you'll see on the feed, uh, there might be a flurry of activity on Real Heroes lately. Ken and I were just kind of going over some web stuff the other night and just kicked out Iron Man three commentary just uh, just on the cuff. Just uh, while we're talking, why don't we why don't we do something a little productive? Uh, which you'll see that on the feed. I am. I know we keep talking about this is like the bane of our existence, but. Uh, I do have the Cowboys and Aliens stuff. Like I said, there, there's there's some audio issues I'm trying to to get around to kind of boost the quality. So we'll see. Uh, the, hopefully that'll get posted here within the next week or so. And then from there we go to Roger Corman's uh, Fantastic Four, the unreleased Fantastic Four, which will I think will be uh, will be fun to Ooh. to go over that movie. It's been a while since I saw that one. I need to watch it again. Yeah, and then yeah, you need to watch that. the Arrested Development season four episodes that play quite heavily on the Corman movie. <laughs> that's what yeah it's been i i guess it's probably been over 10 years since i've seen the the corman ff i have never seen it oh wow uh, you're in for a treat sir <laughs> i get the impression you and i have different definitions of treat <laughs> <laughs> probably so well thanks everybody for listening to this uh special episode of real heroes on thor the dark world you can check out all the episodes we have on uh hhwlod.com where you can pick up all the podcasts we have Half Hour Wasted, Long Box of Doom, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, Aaron Newert's other podcast, the Ichapod Crane Cast, where he and his buddies talk about uh, the Fox show uh, Sleepy Hollow. A lot of fun there. Uh, of course, Agents of Shea, the Shield TV podcast that we've uh, spoke of several times this episode. The Walking Dead TV podcast, which we're all about. Um, I'm actually about five minutes away from the rebroadcast, so I'm going to duck out and catch that. <laughs> so that's always good stuff. R- of course, Real Heroes Jordan's podcast, Jersey Shore, which is not what it sounds like. It is not uh, spray tans and um, and bad accents. No, all of our hosts are very, very pale and have uh, very little <laughs> well, uh, accents. But we'll also be doing G- a Thor 2 episode uh, next week. We- Get your GTL. <laughs> and we uh, <laughs> we just put out an East of West episode for anyone who really enjoyed uh, the comic East of West. Awesome. So you can find all that goodness on hhwlod.com. All of the feed subscriptions are there. Check us out on iTunes. If you do hhwlod in iTunes, you'll you'll get uh, individual feed links for all the show. Or you, if you just want to get flooded with everything, which I highly recommend, you can hit the master feed as well. Uh, if you want to send us an email for some feedback, uh, realheroes at hhwlod.com. Uh, check out the Facebook groups as well for Real Heroes as well as all the other shows in the network. Uh, so until next time, take it easy. Thanks for joining us. I wouldn't say I don't love our talks. I just don't love them.